Hey everybody, what is up? How is it going? I hope you're having an awesome week. Welcome to the Pillars Podcast and another really great episode that I'm very excited to share with you. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, and this week I am joined by one of the most requested guests in podcast history, and also this year's Badwater champion. That's right, the incredibly inspiring and impressive Sally McRae is in the building for her first appearance on the show. We recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago, and of course we focused the bulk of our discussion on Badwater, but we also used that race and Sally's experience there to talk about more philosophical aspects of our sport. As you'll hear, even though Sally was victorious, it didn't come easy. It was far from perfect. And she does a great job of distilling the lessons that she learned into words that you all can learn from and get inspired by as well. We talk about the power of being grateful, of being courageous. We talk about dealing with adversity on the fly during the course of the race. We talk about Sally's experience with motherhood and how important it is to share her journey with her children and her family as well. We talk about chasing our dreams over a long period of time and many, many other things. Sally is so great. Her energy is infectious. She's so great at storytelling. She's super inspiring. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this conversation. And before we get to it, I just want to say a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart to those of you who responded to my call for support in last week's episode. I received a ton of really cool messages from many of you, from people who have taken similar leaps of faith in their own professional lives. And it gives me a ton of confidence in the direction that I've chosen in my life. And for those of you who did subscribe to the app or sign up to support us on Patreon, thank you. Thank you so much. It means the world and we will do our best to live up to your support in everything that we do. Finally, stick around to the end of this episode where I'm going to talk just very briefly about what you can expect from us over at UTMB. We're flying out to Europe this week. I can't wait. I need the trip and I'm going to be doing a lot of fun things. So stick around to the end where I'm going to talk a little bit about what you can expect from us over there during UTMB week. But without further delay, please welcome the 2021 Badwater Champion, Sally McRae. Sally McRae, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining. How are you today? I'm doing great, Dylan. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited just to chat with you. I mean, I'm a massive fan of you. I've been a huge fan of you since I started ultra running. And I know that you and I have always kind of been always yeah. doing the same races in the same spaces, but um, I can't, I can't thank you enough just for what you've done uh, for the sport, you are a, a continuous, like friendly face to everybody and so positive and just pushing the boundaries, like in every way. And, um, it's such an honor to, to be on your show. So thank you. Cool. <laughs> Sally, that's so nice of you to say. And yeah, I mean, yeah. it's been a long time coming. I've wanted to have you on for a long time. You're one of the most requested guests out there. Uh, and obviously you have a, a really, unique and impactful voice in our sport as well. And so I'm really happy that we can connect and talk all about your recent victorious run at the Badwater 135, which of course was what, about two weeks ago now? 
Oh my gosh, it was eight days ago. Eight days ago. Okay, yeah. See, my my brain is still sort of in a post-race time warp as well. I know. Well, so, your, your race was just a few, you finished just a few days ago. Mine was two weeks me. ago. Yeah, mine yeah. was two weeks ago. Yeah. So yeah, yours was the following Monday, I guess. Yes. So yeah. Anyway, I guess uh, let's just kind of start by uh, uh, how are you feeling eight days removed from the Badwater 135? We'll go more into sort of like <laughs> the training and yeah. the ultimate race execution. But I know you're just sort of like coming off a little post-race vacation too. <laughs> yeah. uh, how are you feeling just sort of like physically, emotionally, psychologically after such an awesome effort? You know, I, I definitely, I think being a mom, um, it's a lot harder to, to like, just lock into like complete rest and just reflect on everything. Um, so I am still like mentally digesting all of it. And, and, you know, Dylan, like, you know, you finish a race and you, you know, finishing on the podium for you. There's a lot of people that, um, especially like sponsors and, and people that want your time and that energy. And so, you know, I'm still learning how to juggle all of that. And, um, but I'd say for the most part, I, I do have these moments, especially having Sarah Tar out there photograph everything. When she sent me the gallery, I started crying. Yes. Um, you know, it was my hope that she would really focus on the crew. Um, I said, you know, don't focus so much like on, on pictures of me. Like I really want you to capture the beauty of this race. And it really is. It's, it's the team. It's, it's this, this team that has, has really given themselves in such a selfless way to help me achieve this. And so when I looked at those pictures, I think that's when it, it really like started hitting me. And that's when I started sharing, um, physically I I'm like, for the most part, I'm fine. I thought that by the time I hit probably like mile hundred that I had led had, uh, injured my Achilles. So, yeah. um, and I haven't been injured in a very long time. So I think, it took me like three days post-race is when I finally stopped limping. And then I realized, okay, it was probably just a stress reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I may have like strained it, but I don't think I, I thought I ripped it. Yeah. So, um, thankfully I didn't do that. But so other than that, like I've been back in the gym, um, these last four days, typically after a, a big race, I'll, I'll hit the, the weights like super hard. So I don't do any running. I don't do any like pounding, but I, like do total body every single day, just hard yeah. sessions, um, in the gym. It feels so good. And, um, yeah, the body, body, oh my gosh, it feels so good. Yeah. It's well, humbling. I was going to, I was going to ask you about that later, <laughs> yeah. uh, just because, you know, having been a long time follower of yours, of course, like you've mm -hmm. always been a great advocate of getting in the gym and doing the strength training and stuff, yeah. but it's also, uh, yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see you get back in the gym and start <laughs> throwing iron around again. So, so soon right? after, after bad water, I've barely gotten off the couch since hard rock and you're already back in the gym. So like, I, I guess I'm curious about that. Like as somebody who's sort of a longtime trainer and yeah. knows a lot about, you know, the benefits of strength training and, um, as specifically as it applies to, to ultra running, I mean, in, in a period of sort of acute healing and recovery from bad water, mm -hmm. what are the, what are the benefits of getting back in the gym so soon? Yeah. So, so I'd say the first, like, obviously the first four days I did nothing. I did everything, you know, what, what we would all do, lay on the couch, ate tons of cheeseburgers and donuts and all that good stuff. Um, it was all just recovery methods. So I was like doing cryotherapy and doing the Normatec boots, everything. Um, but I will say I, I had the privilege, um, opportunity a little over a decade ago to work in a sports PT office. And I, I kind of ran like their running 
department of it. So I, I put on like these running biomechanic clinics and, um, I do like these, these classes where injured athletes would come to me and, um, you know, with the help of a sports PT and what I learned there was that anytime an athlete comes in and they're injured, the PT always gives them strength exercises. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that was really interesting. And some of the sports, um, PTs and the best sports medicine doctors are going to tell you that, you know, the best way to heal isn't just to, to sit around and do nothing. You have to mobilize to some degree. And so what I like to do is I, I will spend the first few days in the gym doing all body exercises and super light weights mm. as a way to assess what's weak, what's immobile and what's off balance. Mm. And so it's like, I spend the whole time in front of the mirror and I can kind of see like, Oh, whoa, like I'm weak on this side or that side. And it's a lot of slower movements. Like I, I wouldn't say that I'm like dynamic and powerful and strong, but it's a really great way for me to see like what, what became weak in that race and what really like tore me down and I immediately like start building it back up. So in the same way you would tackle an injury, um, or just do preventative care, that's how I begin back into the, um, into the gym. Um, to yesterday and today was the first time I, I really started hitting the weights hard, but it's all upper body. And that just feels good for me to do like, you know, I, and it, and I'm not, um, doing like CrossFit style stuff where it's like super giant weight with the barbells or anything like that. But I do like heavier dumbbells and, and, um, just try to focus on head to toe strength and really give my body a break from pounding and getting that heart rate up too high, but just focusing on another area of my life. And I think that, you know, after you doing hard rock, I mean, you, you probably noticed the areas in your body that were a little bit weaker toward the end, or as you're getting up that yeah. final climb, you can feel like your hips and your lower back and things like that. I think as ultra runners, mountain runners, um, I've always believed that it's, it's an area that we sometimes overlook, like totally. we have to endure. It isn't that, I mean, we all have to run fast, but we have to endure for a very long time. And in ways that, that there isn't a lot of documentation. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the beauty of our sport and what, what people like you are, are doing yeah. out there is we actually are showing people like, Hey, this is what's possible. And so with that, we, I, I really believe in just building a powerful base, like getting your body as strong as possible. Strength. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's brilliant. I, I figure we just stay on this subject for a little while longer. Obviously yeah, I want to go, go into <laughs> a lot about bad water and, and maybe we can talk mm -hmm. a little bit about how maybe strength training impacted, you know, your preparation for bad mm -hmm. water specifically, but the whole strength training concept isn't something that I've spent a ton of time talking about on the podcast, uh, oh, cool. but has been something that has made a huge difference in my career, especially recently, as I've sort of moved into my mid thirties as well, when a time in life, when I think it's really important to emphasize developing strength or keeping strength, yes. uh, really as you age and, uh, you know, want to maintain, um, high capacity as an athlete. I actually had my PT who's really more like a strength coach, Matt Walsh. who's uh, a brilliant, brilliant guy. I had him on the podcast a while ago, Absolutely. but uh, we now have a, like a training group here in Portland who get together and we all, you know, throw the iron around clang Heck and bang yeah. as they say, but Dude, I, I wondered so if, good. yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, since you've sort of like been sort of, I guess, exhibiting this or encouraging people to sort of, uh, emphasize this in their own training, just generally, and, and not as it relates to your recovery from hard rock, 
how do you implement the strength training into your routine? Like how often are you getting into the gym and uh, maybe any sort of more general pieces of advice on the strength training front before we start diving into the bad water? Yeah, for sure. I, I love talking about this and we can even do a whole separate pot on it. We should, um, that's what we yeah. should do. Yeah. Dude, and I'll, this will I'll be, be the honest, preview. It, yeah. It's one of the top things I, you know, people message about because it is a little bit more fascinating. You know, Dylan, I, I, did you, did you run in high school? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, but, but I, I was a, I was a team sport athlete. Like I was a lacrosse uh, player and oh, you were? Okay. we did, we did some like weight training, but I was, you know, you, you develop like a lot of athleticism and stuff yes. that I think you start to lose as you specialize so in running. True. And that's one of the reasons why I really love the strength training thing. Cause it makes me feel like an athlete again. Yeah. And there's a lot of old school thinking out there though, too. You know, I've, I've surrounded myself with coaches. And um, when I started getting coaching certifications about a decade ago, it was really awesome to be in a room full of coaches and hear their thoughts on it. And you would hear, you know, some would be like, heck no, I will never put a dumbbell on my runner's hands. Like we, we do not do that. And then others that were just like, no, we do core, like definitely doing the body movements. And then you have another school of, of coaches are like, oh, I think there is something to be said about like deadlifting. I think these athletes need mm. to be deadlifting, you know? So I, it, it's exciting as it pertains to running in general but I think there's something to be said even more so for ultra runners. So my, my go-to and, um, just generally speaking, again, we can expand on this later, but I am in the gym most days of the week, but the, uh, just like running, there is a purpose for each workout. So I don't just go in and just like try to lift heavy every single day. Um, you know, Monday, which is typically, you know, the, the global, you know, recovery day for a lot of athletes. <laughs> if you're working on a typical schedule that day is spent, um, you know, I could start 30 minutes just on a mat, 30 minutes of, you know, ankle mobility and rolling around on a foam roller. I do, um, I have like a mat Pilates routine that I do. I've been doing Pilates for almost 20 years. Um, and that is, that stemmed from, some back issues that I have a lot, of, I have a lot of skeletal and, um, issues in my back. And so that saved me and has protected and strengthened my back. So I'll do that. And then I'll kind of move into like a dumbbell area. And typically when I'm with dumbbells, I'm on one foot a lot. Running is one foot. Like you're balancing on one foot every single time. Um, it's also a form of plyometrics. And so I think plyometrics for athletes is really important. So I'll also go over to the turf in the gym and I'll, you know, I'm jumping on boxes sometimes with weights, sometimes with not. Um, but because our bodies are so like, they're ever changing and they're so like diverse and, you know, Dylan, depending on what race you're training for, you know, that there's certain areas that need to be a little bit stronger at certain times. Like I'm going to train differently. Like, well, I don't road race typically. Like I don't do marathon stuff like that, but my, my training would be different. If I wanted to go hard for a half marathon, what I'm doing in the gym is going to complement that. When I do a mountain race, like UTMB, you know, that that's a lot harder gym, heavier weight mm. training, um, in the gym, you know, I'm getting the weight vests out and I'm getting on the stair mill and then I'm doing heavy lifting with the legs. Yep. Um, so really it's being specific to, um, to what, what your goal is, have a purpose every single day. And then, you know, as much as people don't like to admit it, the majority of what I'm doing is very like unsexy exercises. Yeah. I know that you look at Instagram and you look at CrossFitters <laughs> and everything they do is like, Whoa, man, like this yeah. is totally rad. Like they look amazing, but you know, I'll tell you what, like deadlifting is like, I believe like one of the number one 
weight exercises that every single person should be doing, like regardless of what kind of athletic endeavor you're in, or just like an everyday person. And also the beauty of the human body. And this is for every single person listening. I love that we are made to be able to grow muscle, even if we're 90 years old. Like, Mm. I think that's the most fascinating thing about the human is, you know, you hear people like I'm, my knees are breaking down. I'm getting old. My back's hurting. It's like, but do you know, you can still build muscle. Like you can go and get stronger until the day you die. Like that's amazing. And and a lot of the the reason for that breakdown is a, a lack of strength as we mm-hmm. age too. So, you know, it's sort of, yeah, it's a, can be a vicious cycle if we do lose track of that part of our athletic life. And I love yeah. that. Yeah, just the philosophy of it always having a purpose and doing a lot of things on one foot. That's basically been <laughs> what I've done because my, my major injuries in my career have both been ankle injuries. Yes. And I think, those have both been a result of a, a lack of discipline and a lack of strength. So anyway, that was a fun way to start just to yeah. go, go deep <laughs> on the weight training. And yeah, maybe we should uh, devote an entire episode yeah, to uh, talking about that more, but let's spend time talking about the bad water because of course, <laughs> that's what I think most people want to hear from you about. <laughs> and you've done an amazing job sort of telling the story on your Instagram. And I figured it would be really fun to kind of talk about it with you here in audio format too, and help you tell the story that way. And uh, I guess we should start just by, I guess, putting on the table that this was a 10 year dream for you. Like this is something (laughs) that you've been thinking about for a long time, much in the same way that hard rock was a 10 year Mm. dream for me. So maybe talk a little bit about sort of when Badwater came on your radar and sort of when uh, that sort of emotional connection or when that, that goal sort of became ingrained in your brain a decade Mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, it it was, um, right around the time that I was getting into ultra running. Um, you know, there is like snippets here and there of just ultra running in general. You'd see it in, in like the running world magazine and, um, you know, little things on YouTube and the race has been around for a while, but it was always kind of like this weird, like, what is that? And why are people out there? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I think even now before my race, I realized that a lot of what you find on YouTube or just information about about it is kind of dated and it's, it's really choppy. You don't really get the big picture and, and really the gravity of what this race is and ultimately why it is personally. So like pulled me in and, and, you know, I've, I've absolutely fallen in love with it. But when I first discovered it, um, I was watching, I think I ended up like watching it online then um, it's funny because I actually went through waves of it. So I went through waves like I want to do this. I want to. I want to win this race. And it was something I, of course, I'd never shared with anybody before, as I was just brand new getting into ultra running. But then I learned how expensive it was. I learned that the registration fee was fifteen hundred dollars, and I had issue with that. And I was like, oh, it must be nice that like people with that much money can get in. And then mm-hmm. I learned that you have to your crew, you need to pay for your crew, all of them there. And, and it isn't like a, the, the setting is very remote. And so the one hotel where the start line is, is it's expensive and the food yeah. is expensive. And then you have to rent a van and all the supplies. And there's very particular gear that you have to have for your crew. It just, I knew, um, that there was no way I would ever, ever be able to justify that to my family mm. to do a race like that. So I actually, completely like crossed off my list, almost kind of in a bitter way. I was like, I'm never doing that. That race is dumb. Uh, Like people are dumb that do that. Like that was kind of like my immature go-to. And, um, 2014, I had the chance to crew and pace my buddy, Josh. 
And I fell in love with it again and kind of like thought about it. And then just as the years progressed, I never really felt like it was a good timing. You know, sometimes I feel like there's, there's things we dream about and we can be working toward them. So in a, in a way I was always working toward it by building up my, cause you have to run certain races to even be able to do this race. So I was like, I was building up the resume is building up my fitness, mm. but I had never really, um, you know, put in for the application. And not only that, you know, when I first turned pro in the sport, you know, not, it's not like you make a ton of money, <laughs> like, especially yeah. in the beginning, like no one was really making anything, sure. um, as a signed mm-hmm. athlete, you know, there's a lot of product deals and a lot of like little bonuses. Um, and so even then I was like, man, I still can't cover it. And so 2018 was great because at that time that our, our sport was booming, Um, there was more offerings for athletes. Contracts were a lot better. Um, I had picked up a few more sponsors. And so really I saw it as such a tremendous gift just to be able to register for the race. Like that was, I think in of itself is something that's so important that I, you know, for everyone listening, it it is a really a gift just to be able to, to do it for that, that I, I don't at all take for granted. And I didn't, I didn't come from money growing up and it comes sure. from a lot. So for me, like any little thing like that was just like such a, such a big deal that I, well, I don't what a great that. attitude to have. I mean, yeah, it is that feeling of gratitude to just be there that ultimately mm-hmm. I think helps us to, yeah, actually enjoy the experience and hopefully yeah. get the most out of ourselves and deal with the tough times. And, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. like, I know, uh, there's, I've never been to the race myself and okay. you and I have sort of been in the sport about the same amount of time, sort of came mm-hmm. up in the same generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that there's like a, like a community and a special kind of like <laughs> vibe around the race. Like there's people who go to Badwater every year. So yeah. sort of like hard rock, honestly, and that there's yes. yeah. sort of like a core group of mm-hmm. hard rockers and there's a similar thing at the Badwater. Maybe describe that a little bit, what the vibe is around the race. Yeah. And, and maybe and <laughs> aside from like the, the heat and the, and the distance, like what makes the race so special and so challenging? Okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that it wasn't in 2014 when I went to Croom Pace, um, everyone like Josh is a mountain runner, our whole crew, it was, it was Colin, Billy, like we're all trail athletes and, and, you know, Dylan, how friendly and just like welcoming and just warm, like you go to these races and everyone's just like, bro, do like you didn't, yes. we welcome everyone. It's just like, you're stoked that everyone is there. We don't really care if you're front backpack, like it's a party and, um, yeah, the respect is just there. I, I think when we, I got there in 2014, I was like, holy crap, this is intense. Like mm. everyone's like with their crew and they kind of stay with their crew and, and you just got this feeling of like, are we going to war? Like, what is, <laughs> what is going on? Like, it was a really, really intense weekend for me. I, but then I, I came to learn too, that there's over 20 countries represented. And so like a lot of people, like most of people, like not everyone spoke the same language. And so, you know, people are just kind of sticking to their crew and like doing their own thing. And then the race happens and then it's the field spread out so much, but it isn't until the like the award ceremony, which they make a really big deal out of at the end that you really are able to like settle in with people and talk. But I think that most of the athletes that go, um, you know, what I gather is they're just, I, you kind of understand that you're getting into something that is going to be 
painful and challenging and also something you've invested so much into. Everyone has invested so much financially and in, in training, like nobody shows up and is like, Oh, I wish I would have trained harder. Like, like nobody, like, and that's kind of weird too, because sometimes you do show up at races and you're like, yeah, my uh, training wasn't really what it was, but I'm still going to run the hundred miles. Like, but like, this is, it's just, there's like this intense feeling and it's a little bit different than what I had experienced in trail races in 2018. It was awesome. Cause there's actually several trail athletes that I, that I knew there and on the crew. So mm-hmm. I actually had like a lot of fun pre-race on, on that day. Um, on, and during that year. And then even this year too, I felt like there's a little bit more trail athletes and I was more familiar with the bad water runners, like the, mm-hmm. just the veterans that are always there. Um, I've always been so amazed by that, you know, that these athletes are able to come every single year, the support that they get. Um, and for some of them, that's like, that's just their thing. So they yeah. work really hard to be there and they save up for it. And that's, that's what they love. You know, they don't take the vacation to Hawaii. They go to bad water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd say that the pull to this race, you know, that there's a few things that are so specific about it that I, I don't think people always consider. I know we talk about it being so hot. Um, but for me, it's like, it starts at the lowest point in, in the United States and then um, the original course of wolves end at the highest point at, in the lower 48 states. And I just think that um, to run through this gnarly, barren, hot desert, to be at the lowest, lowest point, and then to end in like, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful mountain ranges in the world. Yeah. Um, if you've never, I mean, no, you have, Dylan, you did some incredible mountain adventures up in the Eastern Sierra. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it the pictures don't do justice they don't the the sound of silence and the beauty that you experience you're up there is just it i have chills just thinking about it it is just so majestic and so for me like i was pulled to it in in two ways as a mountain runner i was pulled to that like running through this desert to this mountain that i love and then the place where i feel most at home this this range that has my heart Um, but also the parallel of life. And, you know, I think that starting at the lowest point and, you know, this low, low point, I'm like, that's like starting at the middle of your life. Like, you know, for many of us, not the beginning of your life, but like, there's that time in your life, that low, that like dark place. And then you have to get through all of this crap, like, and it's just suffering and, and, and challenging. And it's just dismal. And it's like, the reality is, is that, every single person at some point in their life hits that. And you just don't know when it's going to be. And I I feel like to then have to climb up this mountain to get to this amazing, beautiful place. Like there's just something so beautiful about that. And I just, um, yeah, it's like an artistry. I think it's like symbolic of the human experience. Yeah. It's just, it's just amazing. Wow. Beautifully said, Sally. Thank you so (laughs) much for that. That was so, so cool. So you've alluded to a couple of times now that you ran in 2018 as well. So Mm -hmm. this was your second running of the bad water. Yeah. Maybe give us the the brief synopsis of that, or or maybe more importantly, kind of like what were the key learnings from the 2018 race? Mm -hmm. Because you ran five hours faster Mm -hmm. or something this year. So, so what were the, the key learnings from the 2018 race that helped inform this year's running? Yeah. The the biggest things were um, mindset, uh, nutrition and electrolytes. I think the, the, the unique situation 
with nutrition electrolytes out there, you know, having been in this sport for so long, like we know we need to get electrolytes and calories in, um, the, however, the humbling part of this race is that because it is in a, a an ecosystem that is not common, <laughs> most people will never experience this type of heat. Um, and for that kind of duration and the other things that come with it, we, we started the race this year in the most intense win I've, I've ever been in. And what that did to the field was like, I remember passing runners and the looks on their faces were like, I wasn't expecting this, you know, like you yeah. don't. And so I think in 2018, it was kind of the same thing. Like that was the hottest in the history of that race. It was 111 degrees at 11 PM at night. And it didn't, everyone's heat, you know, we're all heat trained. Yeah. Nobody's like, wow, it's hot out here. Nobody says it's hot. <laughs> wasn't like, expecting this. Yeah, yeah. No, everyone's coming out. Like, like they, I'm not kidding. You feel like people are going to war and everyone, and you almost feel like you have to like pretend like what you're hot. Oh, I'm not yeah. hot. Like it's just like this weird. So everyone is like, they just look like bulldogs ready to tackle anything. So I just remember standing at the start line and thinking, well, the sun's not out. Like the sun isn't beating down on me. It's 111. It isn't that bad. Um, and I took off, I, I went, I was very confident in my training. I was very fit. I knew I could run fast. Um, I had a couple goals in mind and paces that I wanted to keep. And I was more focused on that than accepting the environment that I was in. Like uh, I didn't give the environment in that moment respect. I was like, I didn't understand that in 111 degree heat, I probably should have like eased into it and taken in three times as many electrolytes that I did because by the time I got to maybe mile 30, um, my adductors started to seize like yeah. in the most horrific way. And they, then they just continued and, and for the entire race. So yeah. it just made the running motion difficult, no matter how strong I was, like I couldn't do, I was so far behind in that point. Mm -hmm. So we just moved slower. Um, and I, I kind of had a bad attitude <laughs> too, because I had this, thought in my mind, I was like, dude, I trained so freaking hard. Like I should not be moving this slowly. Mm -hmm. And it was just this pity party complaining. And when I got to mile 42 and finally picked up my pacer, then I was just vomiting nonstop. And like, at one point the crew pulled me into the car and were just like freaking out. Cause they couldn't find my heart rate. I have a really low heart rate anyway, but we had a nurse in the car. They're like, she's fine. She's yeah, fine. Yeah. Just put ice on her. Like, it's not a big deal. Like the, so it was just like chaos too. It was chaos with, we've never seen Sally like this before. And I was just like this lump moving through the desert. Sure. And I think that, um, having had that experience, but yet was still able to finish. Like I still got to, I, I found a way and that's a big part of ultra running. Like you don't, you don't throw a fit about something going wrong. You find a way, like yeah. you find a solution, you figure it out. Um, unless you of course are harming yourself and there wasn't harm I was doing. I was just pissed that my muscles were cramping and I didn't, I couldn't get anything in my body to move well. So now coming back this year, um, I, I will say I was even at the very beginning of my training was just, I had a little bit of fear, not like the paralyzing kind of fear, but way more like the respectful fear yes. where I knew I was like, I, 
this is going to hurt. I know it's going to be hard. I know there's not anything I can do to be perfectly prepared for it. This, this is why people keep coming back to races because even if you finish at the top, you know that you could have done something better. There's something you can always work on, or there's another area of, of improvement, or there's, that's what pushes you to what can be possible for next time. So, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, definitely entered this, this round with a lot more respect and humility than yes. I did the first time. <laughs> well, what a great lesson. Yeah. What a great <laughs> lesson. Yeah. Always have to approach it with humility and you always <laughs> do have to be flexible with those time goals and mm-hmm. yeah. And when, when things aren't conducive to moving fast, you know, like in 2018, when it was one of the hottest years of all time, you know, mm-hmm. adjusting that, that strategy a little bit earlier probably would have helped you, but that <laughs> lesson <time>. has informed <laughs> a, a great victory in 2021. Aww. So you talked about your training and you did a great job sort of documenting your training mm-hmm. on Instagram, uh, for this year's event. And it was really, uh, inspiring to see, you know, just like the dedication that you had to it, mm-hmm. the specificity that you were employing. You went out to the desert, what seemed like a million times. Maybe you just (laughs) stayed at a hotel out there for a while. Uh, so just, I, I, I I don't think you're really on Strava at all. So I was curious if you wanted to, I'd love to. It didn't happen. I actually didn't even win Badwater because I didn't, I didn't even post my race. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to sort of whatever you're willing to share on the training front, uh, you know, and you can be as specific or non-specific as you want, but just like, like, oh, ask away, honestly. Yeah. yeah well, well, just, you yeah. know, to tell, tell us what, what do you think you did really well? I mean, obviously specificity is a really <laughs> important thing in all, you know, competitive, mm-hmm. uh, and, and specifically endurance applications. And, uh, you were very specific in your training, going out to the desert, running on the yeah. course a number of times. So yeah. Any, uh, particular things from that training block that you think you did really well and, and things that, you think influenced what was ultimately a victorious, uh, experience at this year's Badwater? Yeah. And I'm, I'm just going to preface it with saying I, I was a little bit more specific and sharing. I think I, I, especially being so far into my career at this point, um, one thing that I, I have really desired to do is just to be, uh, I would, I would love to be a resource to people. So if anyone that's listening is, is training for an a ultra or something that's like this, or if you dream of running bad water one day, um, one of the things that I, I found that I was getting messages from people is, you know, it's, it's so great that as a pro, you're letting us see what you're doing and you're being honest. Um, and I, I understand both sides. I know why pros don't share very much. I know why they will stay secret. Um, you know, as, as athletes competing at a high level, so much of what we do is we have to protect our mental game. You have to, you have to stay focused. You can't let the noise in all the time. You can't let everyone say whatever they want and speak into what you're doing and judge you. And when they have no idea what your day in day is, um, is like, and so, you know, and then there's the other, there's the competitive side of it. We don't always share because we're like, I don't want someone else doing the same thing. Cause I know the great advantage this is going to give me. I know what kind of this, when I do this training, what it does to my body. And, um, but I, I think over the years and just looking back on my life, man, there's been so many people that have freely, help me. Um, you know, and there was many years growing up, uh, I didn't have a ton growing up, but I, you know, my mom always told me like, you, you just got to work harder. You know, I had wanted to be a gymnast for a long time. And, um, 
And I would always complain, well, the rich kids get to do gymnastics. And she said, well, you can work hard and pay for your own gymnastics. And I did, you know, when I was 12 years old, I started paying for my own gymnastics lessons. And so I've always kind of aspired to that idea of like, step in and help people when you can, um, share the journey. Don't overlook the idea of, of hard work. Um, but there, there are people out there that don't have the resources. They're dying to learn to know that are curious and genuinely mean well. And so when you share that with people, it's just amazing. Um, the community that was kind of created around the people that were following my training and then following the race and then following the race journals. Um, it is like, I've made friends and the, the, that community has just really touched my heart and kind of convicted me to be like, you know, I, I do need to share a little bit more because so many people are like, I went and tried that. or I went and do that. Thank you so much. And so, um, for everyone listening, I just, I want you to know, I, I hope to be an open book to you and a resource whenever I can. And, um, you know, it's okay if some of the pros don't want to share, there's always good reason, but, uh, when they do eat it up, but, um, you know, sharing what, what I did, I, I think, uh, was partly because I'm so in love with this race. And I think a lot of times in the ultra community, it is kind of, it comes off as like a weird race or people, why would you do that? I, um, I remember Aunt, when Ann Tracing was coaching me, she even said, that's a dumb race. You should never do that race. And, like, <laughs> you know, and it was just like the banter back and forth with her. And I was like, but I, I'm like, I love it. And I just really want to show the beauty of it. It's so beautiful. Um, so, you know, a lot of my training this, this year in comparison to 2018, I decided to focus a little bit more on, um, tempo and intervals and a lot of, a lot more like hill repeats. Um, and I would then at very specific times, I would, I kind of picked out like certain big weeks where it was kind of like a hell week for me, where it was like fast running and then long running, or I'd like do like a 20 mile, 20 mile, like interval workout. And then I would go do hill repeats up and down Mount Whitney portal for like 20 miles or something like that stuff. That was just like, I know by every account, um, ha had I not been trained for so many years in this sport and was healthy. I could probably maybe like injure myself, but, yeah. um, but I did due diligence for a long time. I, I built up my body really strong through COVID, um, all aerobic and strength training. So I never got burnt out. I loved running during that time. I made sure that I was mentally strong so that when I hit 2021, it was time to train for bad water. I knew, okay, I'm going to take this you know, the bigger your aerobic capacity, the more intense workouts you can put out, you know, the yeah. still in. So, um, I knew that I was capable of just kind of doing a little bit more. So, and I, I, my trade is actually, I was a sprinter in high school. I did all the short stuff. I love short explosive stuff. Um, I was a soccer player. So I really, really love like 60 seconds on 60 seconds off. Yeah. Um, you know, I know as ultra runners, you tend to do longer stuff. I did a ton of that. Like I was constantly just doing surges and just really trying to improve my speed. Huh. Um, at that time, Josh Cox reached out to me. He was like, Hey, you want to jump in with Des as she tries to set the world's best. At the right. yeah, I, was like, no! I forgot you were there. <laughs> so I used that as a, as a Tuesday training run. And I thought, yeah. Oh, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll run a little 50 K here. So <laughs> did kind of like little things like that. Um, and then I did go, I was out in the desert. I'd spend like half starting in like the, in May, I'd spend like half the week in the desert, half the week at home. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I was out there a lot, like all over the course, but I'd say I probably logged the most miles on Mount Whitney portal road. Yeah. Um, running up, which is the, the last half marathon or so of the 135 mile course. So yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. Well, yeah, it's really cool. And yeah, I think, yeah, for those who do have the opportunity to, yeah, train very specifically for the races that they've signed up for. Obviously, it pays dividends as you uh, displayed at Badwater. And I loved all your photos of like the whatever Death Valley Visitor Center when it was 125 <laughs> degrees and you're going yeah. out for a run midday. I was just like, yeah. wow. Like and that, that was on my serious. wedding anniversary and my really? husband was out there crewing me. Yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, this is marriage. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness for marriage and, uh, and partners who are supportive of this silly nonsense. Yeah. yeah that is and for people listening. Don't go and do that by yourself. Yeah. I mean, unless you're going to do like half mile out and backs, but, yeah. um, yeah. Well, before we sort of get into the race itself this year, you mentioned, you know, what you focused on in COVID and obviously I don't think you had raced in what a year and a half before, uh, mm-hmm. bad water. So yeah. talk a little bit more about sort of like, yeah, what you worked on during COVID and did you mm-hmm. feel, what was the balance between rustiness and freshness? Uh, when, you, by the time you, you stepped on the start line, was that something you were thinking about, about, you know, getting those competitive juices flowing again after such a long break? Yeah, for sure. Um, COVID was, you know, I I've loved training my entire life. I haven't really taken a break from that. It's just been a natural love of mine. I love being in the gym. Um, I love being out in nature. So I've always made sure, especially when I knew I was like, all right, I'm, I just kind of chose, I'm not going to do races in 2020. I did do the backyard ultra that with, that was fun with Maggie and Courtney. We're like, let's all do it. You know, the vol- the virtual one. Oh, okay. Okay. The, the, you know, like the, the it bigs, was like online. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I was online. And so I, you know, I ran a hundred miles there. I think I even for fun, like I did 160 mile week, like a few weeks later, like, but it wasn't, it was just all really easy running. It wasn't yeah. like, um, and I think even doing stuff like that, it just really confirmed, like, I just, I love that ability and opportunity to run. But then I also knew as I was doing those really big boundaries, I'm like, uh, this is not like a, a sustainable, um, thing to do, but not only that, I have to see this opportunity as a way to, to refocus some other things in my life. So that's when we moved, uh, that's when we moved it to bend and we started renovating our house. Oh. Um, and, and that was all self-taught stuff. And I was very focused on my kids, um, like just wellness during that time, you know, it's a kind of a tough time to be a, a teenager, um, with all of that and all the changes. And so, you know, my goal was I'm going to stay fit, injury free and strong. I'm going to run, but I didn't do a lot of workouts. So I would like do fartlets, which is is just fun. Like, I'm going to like pick up the pace for a couple minutes, but it was, it was nothing ever like, you know, focus like tempo workouts or anything like that. Every now and then I would do like little hill repeats for like 10, 20 seconds just to, for fun. But, um, so I spent pretty much that whole year in bend renovating the house, just, you know, focusing on, on keeping the running, um, strong in other ways, but it was interesting because I felt like all my sponsors, um, I think all of us athletes felt this, like they still wanted a lot from us, right? They want us to be present. They wanted us to be doing stuff outside and, um, talking about their products. And, and so I still felt very connected to the community in that way. Um, but I did have this wonderful mental break from the buildup 
to a race where you just, yeah, that energy that goes to it. And what a great time to take a break too. When, you know, you, you move in the family and you're renovating your house and stuff. That was, I guess, Mm -hmm. good good timing and in some ways. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It it was really good. So yeah, that was, that was kind of what 20, what 2020, the the focus was. Sweet. Well, let's talk about the race itself. You uh, have done an awesome job sort of creating this kind of like episodic race report (laughs) on Instagram. And as luck would have it, it felt what felt like your, uh, the conclusion uh, or the, yeah, the last post of what has been an awesome way to sort of document and share your journey was posted uh, about 30 minutes ago or so right before we got on the phone here. And I figured, I mean, the, the, the posts are just like filled with great lessons and life advice Mm -hmm. and sort of metaphors for dealing with adversity in our personal lives and relationships Mm -hmm. and all these things. And so I, that's why I was so sort of inspired to kind of have you on the podcast. And I figured we just kind of like tick through some of these lessons as, as a way of sort of telling the story of your 2021 Badwater. And, uh, I wanted to, to sort of start with uh, like the first post, basically it's like something to the effect of when you, you see somebody win a race like Badwater, you assume that everything went right. And you're oh like, gosh, wrong. Yeah. no, it was not <laughs> like, there was a lot of problems, but, and you yeah. sort of mentioned this earlier that, you know, you were ready for the problems. Right. And there's mm-hmm. this theme of you not being afraid. So maybe talk about, mm-hmm that lack of fear and the psychology that you had to be ready to deal with the adversity that you encountered in the 2021 Badwater? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll kind of, that, that's like one of my favorite topics. And I actually gave me chills just talking about it because it is something that, um, I've battled with fear in different areas throughout my life. Um, and I feel like that there comes a point, um, you know, where we just have to choose whether or not it's, we're going to let it control us. So, and I, I said it earlier, there's the fear that paralyzes you from moving, from doing, from believing. Um, and then there's the fear, the fear that, that keeps you respectful and humble. So it's, it's kind of like when you, you, you know, you're going up into a mountain and you see in that lightning storm come in and it's like, you're not afraid of getting hit by lightning in that moment, but like the respect you have for it is what tells you we should probably descend the mountain right now. It's not because I'm a wimp and I'm not tough enough. It's because I respect the fact that if I keep going, I'm going to get hit by lightning, Mm -hmm. you know, but we're going to go back up again. So I think that, um, you know, I, I, uh, I'd say I had this really, really hard conversation with my mom. That was like a big turning point in my life. It was right before, um, she passed, it was like weeks before she passed away. And, and she was kind of concerned for me because I hadn't cried, uh, this whole time that she was really sick. And I just, Mm. I, I told myself like, I need to stay hard. I need to stay tough. Like I'm the tough one in the family. I had four siblings. And I was like, I'm going to, like, I want her to know, like, I can handle this. I can handle this. I can handle this. But I, but that time in my life too, I was like a straight A student. I was the captain of my soccer team. I was honor roll student. I was president of, of ASB. Like I had every accolade you can think of because I live my life in a way that I felt like if I was good enough, that good things would always happen to me. And I point blank told my mom, I was like, there's no way that you, like on her deathbed, I was like, you're not going like, 
there's no possible way. Like that just can't happen. Like that's not the way life's supposed to go. Like I've, I've done so good. Like I've, I've done everything I was supposed to do as a daughter. There's no way that you're leaving me now. You know, I'm 17. Like you're a part of every one of my dreams. And I think that I had this mindset that if I tried really hard and I appeared to be strong, that I deserved all good things in life. And that just wasn't true. And my mom, um, was very, you know, specific. And she said to me, when I'm, when I'm gone, Sally, don't be bitter. I want you to still go after the things that you love and do the things that you, you dream to do. And it, it will be hard, but I don't ever want you to give up. And it was, she'd always, she always said this to me growing up, just be Sally. Cause mm. I always, I didn't always, I kind of struggled with myself as a little kid, like wanting uh-huh. to be who I wanted to be. And so I've taken the, that conversation with me through so much in my life and I've had to relearn it over and over again. And I think in 2018, that was a very humbling lesson for me because I stood on that start line and I literally told myself, I'm like, there's no way that anybody trained harder than I did. Mm-hmm. Like I trained so freaking hard. Like I, I know I'm going to do amazing at this race. And I just, it was just so prideful for me to think that just because I trained so hard that I was going to win. And I ended up, you know, a few hours into the, into the race, like everything fell apart. And I, yeah, I got to the finish line, but I think mentally and what I was going through inside, I knew that, that as hard as it was to finish like that, that was actually everything that I needed. And I needed to learn that lesson because I knew that it would take me through a lot of great things happened in the years after in 19 and 2021 that I, I, totally recalled on from that race. And just that lesson was like, I just have to humble myself and realize that, uh, you know, and people have said this, I know they totally mean well, and we kind of all take it in certain ways. People are like, you deserve that. I'm like, but I, I didn't like a win. I don't ever deserve to win. I don't deserve, you know, certain things just because I Mm. tried hard because, you know, you think of other people in the world and other situations, um, you know, where, where things don't pan out. So I just started to understand through these years of my life that there is, there's so much, um, to be said about giving yourself grace in every season and giving others grace in every season. But it, what we also have to do is to be okay and to be courageous enough to realize that you're going to step out and it could be the most perfect day ever. And it could be the most horrible day ever, but who you are needs to not change. And so whether I get to the finish line or I DNF, there's two things that are the same about both of those. And that's that lessons can be learned and that both of those allow us to to grow and and to learn. So I think that was the, um, you know, at at the start line, uh, I, the night before I started this race, I actually, uh, Eddie and I, we were, we were chatting in in the hotel room and I just started crying because I was just like, I, I, everything in my heart, like, I love this race so much. Like I dreamed of literally dreamed of this race mm-hmm. every single night. Like, I've spent so much time studying. Like, I've never studied so much yeah. uh, for a race. And, and I, and I just looked at him, I was like, and I realized that it could be the exact same as 2018. Like I could just suffer from mile one to mile 135. And I think in, you know, between that conversation, the two of us, it was just understanding that like, yeah, but you can handle that. 
like yes. you're going to be okay. You know, you don't like, have to be afraid of it. Yeah. yeah you don't have to be afraid of it. And this is very more of a parallel in life because, you know, obviously we sign up for these races. These are supposed to be, um, gifts and opportunities to, for us to explain our athletic prowess, right. Uh, you know, opportunities to adventure and make these memories. So it isn't, you know, necessarily like talk, I'm not going to war, but, um, but I think that I, I definitely love to find those parallels in life too. I, I weave those into everything that I do because I think it's just the, uh, just a part of, of who I am. And so having that conversation the night before was, was really, really powerful. So were you um, carrying a sense of, of gratitude and just an excitement for the opportunity at the start line this year? Oh, far more than I, I think I, I ever thought I would. I think also coming out of COVID, I don't know if you felt this in your first rate race yeah. back too, is just, um, yeah, that whole feel of like picking up your bib number, yeah. <laughs> like, wow, we're doing the pre-race photo and just like hugging people <laughs> and talking to the race director. Yeah. yeah I, I definitely, uh, it, it was an overwhelming sense of, of gratitude. I knew it was very much a, a gift to yeah. be there and I, I wanted it to be great. <laughs> so as, uh, I sort of referenced earlier, mm -hmm. It wasn't easy this year, even though you won the race, it wasn't easy. It wasn't necessarily glamorous. It was hard. Yeah, we fought. had some surprises. Yeah. Um, but you sort of like, you talk also in one of your posts about this, this concept of, or this maybe philosophy that you have about being courageous, not hard yeah, and being able to <laughs> accept what you're going through and to continue on in spite of what was probably a challenging situation. I, I would I was hoping you would expand on that philosophy of courageousness yeah. over being, being hard, being hard. Yeah. And I know that's a, a popular phrase, staying hard or, um, you know, no pain, no gain and, um, toughen up and, um, you know, the, the, and those have been around for a really long time. That, that idea of, of how tough are you and what can you withstand and, um, how strong are you that, that measure, I think being a coach and being in the running community for so long, um, I kind of feel like that there there's also this, this fine line when you talk to people who they drop out of a race and they say, well, it just wasn't my day. Um, you know, I just, I don't think I, I, I'm not made for this. Or I just, you know, they really then start to go into this mental breakdown, this, this beating up, um, and almost shocked sometimes shocked that I wasn't expecting that. And this is just, I, I can't do this or this isn't for me. And I, I, it's special people that can handle that. I think, um, there was a, a time in my life where I actually was a really bitter, angry person. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I, I was, um, stay hard was my motto. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it was, um, I was, I was beat as a child by my dad and I really, um, there came a point when for so long you're enduring physical pain, um, that you and children are so resilient. And so I, I actually was, was known, um, at school and everything as being like super tough girl. And, my brother, he's five years older than me. 
he and his friends used to pay me quarters to go and beat the crap out of any, anyone they'd say, they'd be like, see that kid over there, go beat him up. And I was just mean. And I, I would, I was like eight years old and I would just go and wail on kids at school. And as a soccer player, like I was vicious, like I would take people out all the time. And uh. if people had the soccer ball, they'd kick it in my, you know, I'd run straight into it. And so I was always just like, a you know, that idea of I, I'm, I can endure anything. I, I'm, I'm tougher than anybody. No one can affect me. Um, words, like if anyone ever tried to say anything to hurt me, like I was very, uh, I'd fire back, but then just be like, you can't, you know, I don't care what you say. And I know that idea of, of staying hard and it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a hard way to live your life and it, you can get through a lot. Uh, and that's for sure. You can definitely endure a lot that way, but I don't think it's an honest way to live life. And I think we can be strong. We can be courageous. We can be brave. Um, but I want to feel the life that I'm in. I want to feel everything that's for me. Um, I think that when I finally came to a season of just complete brokenness and needed to forgive people and, and realize that my being angry at people that had hurt me was making me into a bitter, hard person. When I finally gave all that away, it was like, I felt like I could be free to have joy, to have love and compassion. And that's really when I, I started traveling around the world. And um, my husband and I, we did a lot of work in orphanages and impoverished areas and in other countries. And what I realized was that all that pain and all those experiences that I had been through, like I was able to connect with so many people who had been through similar things, but I had to be vulnerable enough to feel that I had to be vulnerable enough to like put myself out there. So I yeah. think as it relates to running and hitting those like rough patches, it isn't, you know, for me, like when I started like really, really like feeling like the ache and the pain in this race and understanding, uh -huh. oh my gosh, this is what we're going to have for the rest of the race. I needed to, to feel it. It wasn't like, come on, toughen up Sally. Cause it, it wasn't about being tough. I know I'm strong and I wanted to get to that finish line. I wanted to win this race. Um, but I had to understand too, that it was just that thing. It was, you know, your intestines suck right now. Um, but we have a a race to win. And so it was just being brave in the situation, not being numb to it. And yeah. I think there's a lot of power behind that. I think there's, um, I think that is more powerful than being numb to it, feeling it, and then giving hope to people around you that like, yeah, it sucks, but it's not going to last forever. Like yeah. I don't have those things right now, but I was able to get through it because in all of my training, I reminded myself, Hey, there's a likelihood that your hamstrings are going to go out on you. There's a likelihood that you're going to be vomiting the whole time. And so who are you going to be in that? How are you going to operate in that? And I would talk up to myself in training all the time. And there were times that Eddie came out into the desert with me and I would do things purposely to put myself in uncomfortable situations. So we did this super hard push up Mount Whitney. I, I ran up from Lone Pine up to the portal and then I ran hard down. So I completely trashed my legs. Mm. We ate a huge meal and then we drove straight out backwards into Death Valley. And I had to do a long run as he followed me. And I just dry heaved the entire time. Like I was just so sick. Yeah. My belly was full. My legs were screaming. 
And it was great practice because I realized I was like, okay, what am I going to tell myself in this? What am I, how am I going to operate? Like, what are, like, I can still do this. And so, um, yeah, it's just choosing to be brave in the face of it and not try to. I love it. it. I love it. I think (laughs) the adversity we face in life can harden us when it, but really it should soften us, you know, it should make us, should make us more compassionate. It should make us Mm -hmm. more flexible. It should make us Mm -hmm. be able to pause and breathe in the face of difficulty and challenge. And I love the way that you sort of encapsulated by, or yeah, just sort of like explain the detriments of being hard, quote unquote, hard in a society (laughs) that oftentimes celebrates that, you know, being, being hard, uh, being tough is, is a, is a value, but being hard and building walls around you and yeah, shutting, you know, burying emotions and Mm -hmm. just sort of gritting through everything isn't necessarily a productive uh, use of our, of our time and energy, but Mm -hmm. anyway, it's, uh, it's beautiful. So I think, uh, you know, to, to be a little bit more specific about the the challenges of this race, of course, covering Mm -hmm. 135 miles through 110, 120 degree heat is, (laughs) is really hard in itself. And it seems like you had some, nutritional issues. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, you sort of did a great job, uh, also explaining the attitude and the, uh, I guess sort of like psychological strategy that you had of dealing with that <laughs> of like, you know, instead of saying, you know, why, why me? It's like, how am I going to deal with this? So, so mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the challenges that you dealt with specifically during the race, uh, and how you dealt with them in real time. Yeah, the, the we were all kind of struck by uh, the, everyone in our wave by the wind. Um, I'm I'm not sure if you've been out in the desert. The wind in the desert can be pretty merciless, and sometimes you don't know where which direction it's coming in. And Eddie and I, when we had gone out there a couple times, um, twice when we were running from the start line, it was at my back, and I was like, "Yeah, man! Like this is the second time. I hope if it's windy and it's like pushing to me like this is yes. amazing." <laughs> and it was always coming from the same direction. Well, when we arrived. Um, at the start line on race night, it was coming from every direction. It was really like a, it was stormy. It was like this swirling wind. And actually the few days before when we were out there, um, it was like thunder and lightning. Um, it wasn't like hard rain or anything. I think it would rain for like 20 minutes or something like that. And then it made it really humid. So it was just like, everyone was like, dude, what is this weather? Because Mm -hmm just a week before it was like 128, 130 degrees out there. And we were all expecting like this super extreme heat again at the start line. Um, and it it was hot. I think it was 108 or 109 at, at the start line. So it was still hot, but what is important to know about when, and especially for people listening is that it it can severely dehydrate you very fast Mm -hmm. because especially if it's coming at you, it's, it's just drying up all of the moisture in your eyes, going in your nose, hits the back of your throat. Um, and then of course, wind, it, it takes up more oxygen. So your body is working harder to move through the wind, especially if you're dead set on trying to keep a certain pace. Um, you know, you're, you're just working harder in every element. So as soon as I hit the white line, um, I told myself just immediately, like, you know what? we're just, I'm just going to lean like gently into the wind. That's what I kept telling myself. I'm like, I'm going to lean into it. 
Um, I told my crew to give me, I had these clear glasses. So I threw those on over, over my eyes to kind of protect that way. And then we increased, um, all of my hydration and my electrolytes like right away. So, mm. which was really good. Cause I, I felt amazing, um, moving, like my legs felt strong. I felt very hydrated. Like the heat was fine. It just sucked because we were all running so much slower. Like it was, mm. you know, it was a lot slower than I had wanted to, but I knew, um, at, at the pace at which that wind was moving, I was like, it'd be stupid to try to push right here, especially in the beginning. Um, so when I, when I, my, uh, intestines first started cramping up. I was like, what the heck? But the thing was, is like the day or two before the race, I did have some intestinal problems, but that's not uncommon before a race. Like a lot of times I just feel like, oh, my body's, it knows it's race time. Like, and it's just been so long since I raced. And I've talked to so many other athletes. I don't know if you're this way too, but your body's just kind of like prepping. It's like cleaning itself out. It knows like something intense is coming up. It's like a weird psychological thing. And so I attributed that. And I had said something to Eddie, like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, I, I don't know. And then like, I had had a super bad headache too. And I was like, what the heck? And I know post-race, a few people had said, you know, that maybe that it was the food like th- that they had eaten. Um, cause other people kind of experienced some similar stuff. Hmm. So I don't, I generally don't know what it was because I was still able to eat. So I would lose everything. So starting at mile 14, I would lose it all. But then I was like, just so bent on getting it back in. So we were loading, like loading as quickly as possible. I just kind of had to go into that mental space of, you know, it, you know, I can't let it get me worked up because it is almost impossible to be on top of calories in an ultra. Like you can eat as much as you want. Your body's still burning through them so fast. So now I was losing them at a rapid rate and I just had to stay focused on the fact, well, I'm losing them, but I'm still getting in. I'm losing them, getting them in. There's gotta be some that's staying. So it just was so quick. It just continued. So then about mile um, 20, I said, we have to change my nutrition strategy because my system's just angry. Mm -hmm. So then we went to just liquid calories. So then it was just full liquid and that helped like a little bit. Um, and then it was just a little bit more like infrequent, but then my body was angry at how much liquid calories I was in. So then I like, I, I didn't feel great after that and I would hit a low. So then they'd change it again. So we just, we just kind of made that part of like the crew strategy. It was yeah. like, all right, yeah. Sally needs a biffy bag. Okay, yeah. here we go. We just lost all our calories, load her up again. And instead of kind of taking it as, oh my gosh, this isn't just my day. Like this sucks. Like, yeah, I was uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. If you've ever run before and had like had the runs, like, you know, how terrible and cramping that feels, but you take care of it and and you move on. So, um, it wasn't an organ issue. I wasn't like endangering myself. It was just, I was just it's just an extra, an yeah. extra difficulty to have yeah. to and figure I, I out. I got upset too, because we, my crew, I had said, listen, we have to move so fast. Like I had a time goal. Um, I, I finished that was, I know I won, but like, that was not the time that I was shooting for. Yeah. It was way slower than I had anticipated and what I trained for and what I knew I could do. Well, but what course. a great lesson that is, you know, yes. I mean, like yeah, t- <laughs> tough conditions, windy day, stomach yeah. problems, 
but mm. yeah, I mean, you still ran five hours faster than you did last time. And yeah. you know that, you know, that you can do better <laughs> and you, you still won the damn race and you dealt, <laughs> dealt with everything that came up and you navigated all the challenges and you covered 135 goddamn miles all the way up to the Whitney <laughs> portal. I mean, right. It's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is the lesson. It's like, I, I think I even said that in one of my posts, it's like, yeah, I'm weak, but I'm stronger than I was last time. Yeah. And I think that that is, that is really what kind of pulled me along is like, I knew I was hitting paces better. I ran the entire way up towns pass, which is a 17 mile climb, 5,000 yeah. foot, totally exposed area that I, I was, I walked almost every step of that, you know, um, the first time I did it. So I had to, I had to count and pull on these little things that were like, okay, no, you're, you're okay. You're moving along. It isn't where you want to be, but it is better. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to celebrate any, any little way that I could. So in uh, one of your posts, you also describe when you learned that you were in the lead and because of the, <laughs> the wave nature of oh, bad water, it's sort of like confusing oh, to try and so figure confusing. out. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it seems like, yeah, sure. Please go ahead. Cause I was actually gonna, I was actually gonna ask. Yeah. Just cause like, yeah. I, I don't really understand it. Just like the whole wave start nature of the race mm -hmm. and how they determine which people are going to be in which waves and yeah. how that impacts the experience of the runner. And is it, it an is. advantage there, for there some people? Such an and advantage. It, yeah. So yes. talk about it. There's such an advantage that my first year I asked Chris Cosman, I was like, I want the best possible situation for me to finish this race. Like mm -hmm. I want to run fast. I want to win. Like, can I be in the eight, 8 PM wave? And he was like, are you kidding me? No. He's like, if you're going for the podium, you're going in 11 PM. I was like, I don't understand that. Like every road race, every marathon that there is like an elite wave that starts up in the front. And then there's, you know, and, and I'm just like, why, why can't we do that? What's so bad about the people that are like really trying to get on that podium? Why do you make us start at 11? And the thing is, is that starting at eight for one, um, those people aren't looking to go to bed at eight o'clock. Like, like, so they're not starting tired. Yeah. They then get three extra hours of nighttime running. Uh-huh. The 930 wave, same thing. They get an hour and a half of nighttime running. And the thing about this race is the heat exposure. Uh -huh. When that sun comes up and it is just beating on you. And I hit Towns Pass right as the sun is coming up in both years. So to know that the waves in front of me have, have been able to climb that in the dark, or maybe I've already passed them by then. That's the thing too. You don't even know who you're passing or what wave is this person from my wave or did I at mile 20, am I passing someone from the 8 PM wave? I don't know. Um, but I even, you know, in my mind, I was like, well then let us start at six. Like, let us like, I'll go at any time. Like let us start in a way that, that would at least allow us to have the best possible situation. But 11 PM, I mean, I don't know what athlete training for a race stays up till 11 PM. Like when you're in hardcore training, like you're yeah. trying to sleep, like your body's like rhythm is like, so you're getting to the start line sleep deprived. Yeah. And then you also have the least amount of dark hours. You have you theoretically cooler hours, cooler yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. Without that sun on you. Um, and so, yeah, you, you start a little bit more fatigued. Uh, so, but like, are the women that you're racing all in the same wave? Yeah. Like, so okay. someone, so in 2018, a girl from the second wave beat me. Uh, and so it doesn't matter what wave you're in. So here's the thing too: eight, nine, 30 and 11, we all have to get to mile 50 in the same time. Okay. 
So eight o'clock wave gets three more hours, nine 30 gets an hour and a half extra. And then 11 PM we get, we get, it's a 10 hour cutoff. So it, whoever isn't there, you're just, you know, you're timed you, out. Yeah. You're timed out. So, um, but as far as needing waves because of the national park and wanting to spread people out and because crew cars follow you, they do have to, to spread it out. Um, so it is what it is, but it is more of a, a back and forth banter with, with me yeah. and Chris. I'm always like, just let me go. In the, come on, let me go in the earlier wave. Yeah. And he's like, no. So yeah. I don't, I don't think that'll ever change, but you know, I've, I, uh, I didn't realize that the girl ahead of me, um, was from the 9:30 wave. I thought from she was from wave. my wave. Okay. And so apparently I was in first place since mile like 48. Okay. But, I didn't but you didn't know, know until what? Like 90. mile 100? No, yeah, 90. mile 90. <laughs> the checkpoint mile 90. It's one of those things where in real time it's probably so annoying that you're like you have no idea <laughs> no where idea. You, where you are in the field. <laughs> But in hindsight, but it, it probably, pushing. yeah, it helped yeah. you to push a little bit more. It it's- did. I was so, I was hunting. I was constantly hunting. And I told the guys that when we got up to the top of the, t- of the 17 mile climb at Towns Pass, I told Colin, I was like, I need to just, I need to descend by myself. Yeah. Um, I love descending, but I knew it was going to be extremely painful. It was steep pavement descent for 10 yeah. miles does not feel good. So, yeah. um, and then we were entering into the hottest part of the race. So I said, just let, let me chill. I need to just kind of yeah. go to my place right now. Um, but I thought about that. I thought about how I was so fixated on like, I need to catch this girl. Um, but I did in a very like playful way when they told me it was the girl from the second wave, I was like, Oh, okay. How far ahead is she? Like we better pass her. We will bury <laughs> her that she got to be in the nine thirty wave <laughs> when she should have been in the first wave yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the, the 11 PM wave. It's, it's funny at, uh, at hard rock, you know, you cross mineral Creek and then you have the last three miles into Silverton and I was like ready to be done at this point. And, and Harmony was there at the road crossing and I was like, am I safe? Like, is Ryan behind me? Like, yeah, do I need to relax? And I was like, it, do I need right? to worry about this? <laughs> and she's like, no, like you got to keep going. And like last I heard, he was just right behind you. And I was like, God, <laughs> was and, she uh, lying? Yeah, she was totally lying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrible. I love it. Yeah. And it keeps you motivated, yeah, right? Like you 100%. finish strong. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, those are probably my best miles of the whole race. Actually. Right? <laughs> I'm not losing this second yeah. place dang it <laughs> so i want to talk a little bit about the, the psychology of learning that you were in first place because it seems like that's what really put wind back in your sails after dealing with these nutritional issues and just yeah. generally going through the heat of the day and having a really hard race um and you know you're talking about how sort of like at sunset you're like you know, thank you for letting me be here. Like, this is my dream. I'm winning. Like, oh my gosh, this is everything I've dreamed about. So kind of talk about that psychology. And then I guess we can just kind of fast forward to what it felt like to achieve this, this dream that you've had for 10 years. Like, what was it like to cross the finish line as the Badwater champion? (laughs) Yeah. The finding out I was in first place was I first, like, I didn't believe it. And it, you, you were finally like at the top of Darwin's pass. So after you, after you climb the 5,000 foot climb, you go in through the belly of the desert and then you have a half marathon to climb. Um, 
And that was where I had hit my lowest of low point. I mean, I was in a really bad place. So mm-hmm. then um, it kind of levels out and you hit that 90 mile checkpoint. So it is a little bit flatter and you, you start to descend a little bit. And when they told me that um, I was in first, I kind of teared up and I, I couldn't believe it. I just was like, are you kidding me? I, I thought I was chasing someone this whole time. And that's when the, they said, you know, it was a girl from another wave. You're actually an hour and a half or an hour and 10 minutes ahead of her. But um, I think that, you know, I, I actually didn't come out of, a, of my low point. Um, I kind of s- spent some time in a low point. I, again, shooed my crew away at that uh, Sarah Atari is like the, the sweetest person ever was behind me, pacing me and trying to be like encouraging and things like that. And my, um, two big toes were hurting really, really bad. And so I stopped and we were trying to put some moleskin on them. And I just looked at all of them. I was like, listen, my Achilles, I think I did something in my Achilles. Um, I dreamed of getting to this point in death Valley because I had spent so many miles on that like running hard. Like I knew how I wanted to run it. And because my Achilles wasn't cooperating, I wasn't able to move the way I wanted to. And then my toes were hurting. And I, at this point, all I was able to get in was coconut water. I was super grumpy. And so I just said, you guys don't talk to me. I'm going to go to a really quiet place right now. I need you just, just drive, check in on me though. Like obviously I'll need a refill of a bottle, but just kind of let me go. But it was amazing. Cause yeah, that's when the sun, started setting. And I was, you know, I was, I was really happy about being in the first, but I was also just like, man, I just feel like so beaten up and I still have 45 miles I have to cover. And, um, so I just started praying. I mean, that's like kind of like my go-to, I just kind of fell into that. Like I, I go, I'm, I'm weak. Like I don't feel like amazing and powerful and, you know, but I'm here and I'm moving, I'm moving forward. And, um, And that's just when I fell into gratitude. I think that's probably the best place to go when, when I turn inward and I start complaining is just kind of like, okay, now, now I need to be grateful for something Mm -hmm. and watching that sunset, knowing all the days of training that I spent watching that sunset over the horizon. And you, at, at this point in the race, you can see the Eastern Sierra, I could see where I was going. Um, this just feeling of gratitude came over and I started running fast again. I mean, the guys in the crew van were just like in shock. They're like, holy crap, like you're moving so well. And, and I knew it wasn't in anything of just like myself. It was like, I had like this, like inner power. I was just like, I feel like it was, it was gratitude and just realizing I needed to be grateful in the pain. Like I needed just to embrace it and realize like I can walk in pain or I can run in pain. Like I just need to choose one. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that kind of continued throughout the rest of the race. I mean, there was times I I definitely had to power hike. I was vomiting and like, I I was hurting pretty bad and I was upset too. Like I kind of got scared a few times. Like there's been two other races where I've been caught right at the end of the race. My first year doing Western States was one of mm-hmm. them. I was actually ninth place until I was at the top of Roby point, uh, a mile from the finish. Um, and then I got passed and that's why I was 10th place in that race. Yeah. And it happened another time in another race. I got caught four miles before I finished, but I, we battled and I, I ended up winning, but I have always, since then always had like this fear that a girl's going to pop out of like the bushes or out of the darkness and be yeah. like, hi. And so the whole, that end of the race, I, there was a little bit of anxiety. And, um, I'm like, do you guys know, like, when's the next person behind me? They're like, dude, Sally, 
the next girl is hours behind you. And I was like, I don't know. Like, you don't know that. Like, I didn't even know I was in first for so long <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. behind me. So it was, it, there was some anxiety and some anxious struggle where I'm like trying to run as best I can. And then it was like, I'm just crumbling to like under the, the physical ache and wondering, okay, did I rip my Achilles? Like, should I be really be pushing this hard? And, uh-huh. um, you know, but then once we got to Lone Pine, uh, the guys had reception so they could see who's checking in uh-huh. on Lone Pine. So we ran the first two miles up. Um, and it was, that was, uh, and from Lone Point, Lone Pine, you just have the 12 mile ascent all the way up. Yeah. To yeah. Portal. It's just a 12 yeah. mile, about 5,000 foot. And so and there I, you're in your element. You're like, Oh, I'm yeah, good. Back in the mountains. mountains. Yeah. I'm r- running towards Mount Whitney. Oh, well, it's Dylan, basically a big magnet. Right. Did no, you, did never, you... never at night, but, oh, uh, yeah, gosh, it was spectacular. Dude. I did go up this summer. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's, it's so beautiful. It's so, Incredible. yeah. Yeah. So, so what was it like <laughs> to win the race? I mean, to, to realize this decade long goal mm. and to have your husband, a great yeah. crew, a bunch of people who love you to be there, to enjoy it with you. Talk about what that felt like. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, I don't, I don't think there is ever a time in the race or even in training where I, I felt like, Hey, I, I deserve this, you yeah. know, for as hard as I've dreamed and as hard as I worked, um, I, I just, I really felt like that was a gift. I I can't say that enough. I mean, it was a gift to be able to have such an incredible crew. That's right. You know, Colin, Sarah, Dave, and Eddie, they were amazing. Um, and what they had to put up with me, grumpy Sally, irritable Sally, weird, like dizzy Sally. I mean, it was just, um, and, and they got along so well, they had so much fun. I mean, every time one of them would pace me, they'd come out and be like, this is the best crew ever. Like they just were having the time of their lives and, and none of them slept. Like it was just like, they were in it 100% with me. And mm-hmm. I definitely had moments throughout the race where I just look over and I'm just like, man, how'd I get so lucky? Like, yeah. this is, this is what it's about right here. You know, it's, when I look back at my favorite moments in life, it's always with people, you know, like I've climbed a lot of mountains by myself, but man, they're so much better when I'm climbing with friends. And, and I think that was really what this race signifies to me is it it takes a a team to go through the lowest of lows through the belly of the desert and up a mountain. And, and, you know, there's only so many people in, in our life that are going to stay with us through the thick and the thin and see you for who you are in your worst days and your gross days and your days of triumph and stay with you and love you and support you. And those people are gold. And I think that that just made me appreciate and all I've known all of them for so long. I've known Sarah for like 10 years and Colin and Dave for over a decade and Eddie since I was 18. And I just was like, man, I just, I'm so grateful to have amazing people in my life that are crazy enough to believe that I can do this and to support me in that. So I'm, I'm still digesting all of it. I'm still thinking about all the pieces of it. And I don't know about you, what you felt like after hard rock, this dream, um, that was finally realized, but I, you know, I, I think it's like, it, it's so important to remember that the races are like checkpoints, you know, like there's so many races that we do in our life. There's so many races ahead. Um, 
And I think it's a, a race is such a beautiful way to just kind of check in with yourself and, and ask like, what did you learn? Like, how could you grow? Like, what could you do different? And I, I think, you know, the next morning, that's what I was thinking. Oh man, if I didn't have diarrhea for a hundred miles, like look how much faster I could have run that. <laughs> or if like my Achilles wasn't like, you know, strain, like I could have sure. got the mountain faster. Like, mm. I could have done this or that, or, or even if it isn't bad water again, like, wow, like what, what am I capable of doing? Like, what is, what's the next thing out there? And, um, you know, I, I think that's a, a fun way to live life and, and, totally. you know, yeah. and, and anything that had to do with my studies with this race, even so many of the studies on heat training and fueling endurance athletes, it's like most of that stuff was done on athletes in 60 and 90 minute increments. And so I think, you know, all of us out there at Badwater, it's like, we're these little science experiments, just showing people like, look what humans can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, what else can we, what else are we capable of? What else are we able to, to achieve when we work together? So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so well said and yeah, races mm -hmm. are an opportunity to, to learn, you know, mm -hmm. to find out and to, test ourselves and ultimately yeah when they're in the rearview mirror and we have these profound learnings yeah it does inform the next step in our lives and it helps us to deal with the next challenge whether it's an athletic challenge a personal challenge a relationship challenge something Thank like you. that anyway yeah. congratulations it's a Thank great you, story Jeremy. and actually as you <laughs> as you said in one of your posts it's like yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're sort of talking about running, but all this is like life, you know, we're not really talking about running. And Absolutely. So bad water is a, a metaphor for mm. climbing the Whitney portal in <laughs> some other context of, uh, of, of life. But mm. before we get to sort of what's next for you, I wanted to just kind of ask you about, you know, being a mom and doing mm. this stuff as a mom. And I think yeah. one of the things that, people really admire about you is you always do sort of like share that side of your life too. And I wonder what it means to you as a mom to achieve these great things as an athlete and sort of set an example for your children and maybe what their reaction is of mom's heroic victory. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Yeah. I, you know, being a mom is, is a huge gift. Um, I, I think having, having lost my mom so young when I had my own children, um, that was, I think it made it so much more special to me and realizing that from the time they were born, I, I, it was my hope that I could be as impactful in their life as my mom was to me. And she was such an encourager. She was so hope filled and, and loving and she loved kids. And so I think that is, has been a, a really good uh, goal for me to work on with, with my children. I've, I've wanted them to be a part of everything. And the cool thing is when, when I first started trail running, um, you know, my, my kids were really little, they were like two and gosh, two and four years old. And so I, I would take them out onto the trails with me. I wouldn't call it running. It was called adventuring. And we'd look for lizards and deer and we'd jump in the streams and things like that. So they actually have grown up on the trails with me. And, um, Mackenzie especially really grew to love it. And, and she's the little runner herself. My son is, he, my son is actually more like me than Mackenzie is like me. He's a ball sport player. That's just how I was too. I thought running was boring and like, you know, I needed a ball at my feet type thing, but they both love sports and we're our, our little family of four is very close. 
Um, even now my husband and I just talk, we think that, you know, our kids being 13 and 15 now, we would think that they'd want to spend more time away from us, but, um, they love to be around us. We do a lot together and we have a lot of really good conversations. And whenever I race, they are so excited for me. Um, there is video that was, that was posted that people continually comment on, but it's my kids embracing me after the finish line and my daughter coming up and saying, mommy, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to start crying. I'm so proud of you. And Isaiah just giving me this big hug and saying the same thing. And just, you did it. It's amazing. And, um, you know, in this whole week, like my recovery, they're just like, mom, like you work so hard, mom. And they just, they were there that entire time. I, I, a lot of people didn't know this either, but they actually went out to the desert with me when it was the hottest, uh, it was 123 or something like that. It was our anniversary, but we took them with us and they would play in the pool and they'd go up to the general store and get Slurpees. And me and Eddie were out on the course running. It was just like this family affair, but my, my desire was, I wanted them to feel the heat. I wanted them to see what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like our move to Ben. Like I grew up using my hands. I used to go to work with my dad and he used to replace toilets and floors and paint everything. And, and I learned so much from that. And so when we moved to Ben and we were renovating. I was like, I want you to do it too. Like, I want you to experience all these hand-on things. And so I think when, when this race, like I, they saw how hard I trained for it. They knew everything that I was doing and we'd talk about it all the time. Um, they've always been so, so supportive and they're still at, they still actually think that I'm kind of cool. So, um, I'm savoring in that. Cause I think I probably only have a few more How weeks could they of that. Not? Their moms are, know, the moms are bad water champion. <laughs> Come on. They're probably bragging about you at school, and, but it's, it's great. Sally. I, I mean, just to, have the opportunity to sort of set that example and, and to show your kids what you're able to achieve in life and to, you know, make them understand that the sky's the limit and that if they set their mind to something, it's doable. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's a wonderful thing to, to share with, with your kids. And I'm sure they'll benefit as a result (laughs) as they grow into their own uh, amazing lives. So anyway, <laughs> Thank you. well, Thank you. Uh, congratulations, Sally. It's great to, to chat about all this stuff with you. Let's close by just sort of, uh, talking about the future. What, what's yeah. next for, for Sally McRae? It sounds like you might be working on a book. Is that right? Are you writing, writing a <laughs> I book? I have been for a long time. I just paused it, yeah. uh, for a little bit, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, been a long, long, time dream of mine. So I'm finishing that up and, um, praying that I'll be out around the holidays. So I'll keep you posted on that. Right. Yeah. We'll um, have you back on. We'll do a little, uh, <laughs> thank little you. Book plug. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, I have a few races that are on the calendar. TDS run rabbit run. You're doing TDS. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, yes, maybe. Yes. I've, I, uh, and um, run rabbit run. I mean, those races know, are only separated really... by like three weeks or something. <laughs> and you're, you're eight days removed from bad water. I know. I know. Wow. That's a whole nother podcast right there. I guess so. Uh, it's still, uh, I'm still assessing myself though. I think cool. mentally, physically, and uh, the demands of that. 
Um, but it would, the TDS one was with the ultra, with the ultra trail world tour. Mm. Um, so I'm like their athlete for that race. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I might defer it to next year. We'll see. I, Mm. I, I go back and forth. Aren't you going over there though? I'm I'm going over there. I'm not racing. Oh, I thought you were. I was like, what are you talking about? You just did hard rock. You can do UTMB. I (laughs) signed up for CCC, but I'm not going to race, but I'm, I'm definitely going to be over there. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you, uh, if I end up, if you just decide against there, it, we can drive do... around and watch other people suffer. Okay. And, that uh, might be awesome. Get, we'll get have to inspiration. talk off record about that. Cause I, sure. I like, my dream is to one day live in the Italian Alps. Like I can't yeah. get enough. I've missed it so much. I know Me you too. have too. Me too. I've gone every year just cause I love it. I usually don't do races like over and over and over again, but I, it's like my excuse to go to Europe and hang out with my friends. So. Same. <laughs> yeah. I go no matter what, if I can, you know. <laughs> COVID allowing, I'm going to UTMB yeah. every year, whether I race or not. Oh, so, so amazing. It's, it's truly like no other event. Well, yeah. yeah don't think too much about what's next. I think you yeah. should spend at least a few <laughs> more days and- basking in the glory <laughs> of the bad water victory. And you can cross those other bridges when, when you come to them. But. Sally, it's been such a treat to have you on the podcast. It's Thank been so you, fun to, to chat about it and and uh, learn a little bit more about what went into bad water for you. And I think it's such a great lesson that you know you can still have incredible life experiences and maybe even pull out victories when things aren't <laughs> perfect. If you just keep absolutely pushing through and being courageous and. Mm. Um, it's, uh, yeah, you're, you're always so good at, at sharing those, those more profound lessons that come from our sports. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Dylan. What'd you guys think? I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much to Sally for coming on and sharing her story with us. Obviously, Sally is one of the most popular runners in the sport for good reason. So if you don't already, go follow Sally on Instagram where she has a huge and engaged following who benefit greatly from her ability to storytell and share every aspect of her journey as an athlete and as a mom and as a human being. And if you like the episode, let her know, send her a DM, let her know it resonated with you. I'm sure she would love to hear. Before we sign off, I just wanted to let you all know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I am leaving for Europe this week for the UTMB festivities. And I just wanted to give you an update on what you can expect from us. I just got my marching orders from the race a few days ago, and it seems like I will be on the microphone for a huge amount of time over the course of the week, commentating during at least OCC, CCC, and UTMB. And it is my hope that we can make these races, the courses, the athletes, a little bit more approachable, understandable, and hopefully more entertaining for you all, the viewers. So if you're not totally sick of my voice already, please make sure you tune into the English channel of UTMB TV, where I will be for a significant part of race week. Uh, My partner Ryan is coming too, so we will likely be putting up podcasts and video content 
during the course of the week on the Pillars channels as well. Keep an eye out on my social, on the Pillars social. We'll make sure to share relevant links as soon as we have them. I can't wait for the trip. I feel like I need it. And I can't wait to watch all these awesome races go down. But that's it for this week. Thanks everyone for listening, especially all the way to the end. Really appreciate you all. Talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.